We appreciate your prayers, and uh, China is a very much Holy Spirit-led ministry that needs the Holy Spirit to lead us. Uh, who, who to talk to, what to say, there was, yeah, I'm not even getting to this yet, but there was, I'm already telling stories. There was one time that uh, we were having a Christmas party at our house church, and we were inviting people and trying to get the gospel to them, and a lot of times we try to make sure before you invite somebody, you got to know, you know, what do you do for a living? Because <laughs> you never can tell whether they're working in the government or not, and so it's like, okay, well, what do you do for a living? And not only that, it's, so what does your spouse do for a living? Oh, okay, what does your parents do for a living? Oh, all right, that's great. You know, this seems like good idle conversation, but in reality, we're in the background saying, okay, is this person safe to bring to the church or not? <laughs> um, but so we were inviting people to come, and somewhere along the line, we invited this lady to come, and uh, somehow it slipped through the cracks about, so what does your family do? And so she gets to the door, and we're, we're already getting quite a few people in the house. She gets to the door. We knocks on the door. We open it up. Come on in. And in steps her and her, and her husband in his police uniform. <laughs> and it was the, the other man that we were working with, the other American we were working with in China at the time, just about had a heart attack, I think. <laughs> but we were like, okay. Um, we talked to him, and we tried to make sure, you know, everything's just nice and we're not trying to do anything un illegal here nothing at all and we talked to him for a little while and uh, we started then and we had some games we sang some Christmas songs and we were getting right to where we were going to start telling the Christmas story which by the way starts at Adam and Eve and goes through the resurrection and has four points about it being you know that everybody's a sinner and sinners go to hell and Jesus uh Jesus died for us so that we can know for sure we're going to heaven. And if you accept him, you can go to, you can have eternal life. And uh, so we're just about to get to this Christmas story. And we're, we, Stacy and I were trying to figure out what are we going to do? I mean, how are we going to handle this? I guess we'll just see what, what happens. And right about that time, the guy grabs his phone and sticks it to his ear and stands up and walks out in the hallway, shuts the door behind him. And okay. So we presented the gospel, got all the way through, and, and, and uh, made sure everybody understood the, the plan of salvation, got finished with everything, finally completely done, just doing some final little details before we send everybody out. And then he knocks on the door and comes back in. And I promise you to this day, we still do not know. I did not hear a phone ring. Uh, we do not know whether the Holy Spirit prompted a phone call and moved him into the hallway or whether he just was being very diplomatic about it and saying, these are my wife's friends. I don't want to turn them in. I don't want to know what's going on. I'm going to step in the hallway. I don't know which way it was, but that kind of situation is why we need the Holy Spirit leading us at all times, you know, everywhere we're going, going shopping, going to the church, going out soul winning, you know, anywhere. But uh, we love being in China. It's a great place, and the Lord's got a lot of work to do, and, and, um, and we love your prayers. But if you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that would be good. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we will get there pretty soon. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and in the meantime, I got a question and a little story. My question is... 
Now you got to be honest. Got to be honest now. How many of you have ever in your life been afraid of the dark? Raise your hand. Let's see. Let's see. Okay, good, good. We got a bunch of truth tellers. I did see a few liars because <laughs> everybody knows everybody's afraid of the dark at some time. But so um, when I was younger, we lived out in the countryside in uh, Tennessee, East Tennessee. We lived up on a hill. And our house was like the last house on the road. It was like a circle turnaround place, you know. And, and down from our house, there was a woodshed. And behind the woodshed was a, a field of weeds. And behind the field of weeds was a big forest. And uh, so not, not, couldn't really see the neighbors from where we were at. And uh, when we were there, I was about five or, five or six years old or so. And... Um, one evening, my dad decided it was my turn to go feed the dog. Well, the dog was chained up next to the woodshed, and it was dark. We had one porch light in, by the door, and the, the door is on this side of the house, and the, the dog shed and, the, and, and the, uh, or the, dog, the dog house and the woodshed are down here, away from the light, pretty much as far away from the, uh, the light as you could get. And uh, my dad said, go feed the dog. So I get the food, and I go out the door and down the front steps. And as I'm moving away, it's getting darker. You know, I'm getting away from the porch light, and it's making me more and more nervous. And our dogs, was, we had a black dog. That doesn't help. And he, uh, <laughs> his name was Licorice because he was black licorice. Anyway, black. And uh, so uh, I'm moving away from the light, and I'm getting closer. I'm saying, Licorice. Are you there? You know, I'm looking for him, and my eyes are scanning all over, trying to make sure, you know, where's the monster coming from? I know it's going to get me. And so I'm looking around, and uh, finally I, I heard the dog chain start moving. I see the dog moving around. I thought, oh, good, he's here. He didn't get eaten yet. This is good. And so I went over, and I fed the dog, put the food in the dish, you know, and I quickly turned around, and I am moving as fast as I could go, as fast as my little legs could carry me. I'm going back to that porch light because that's where safety was at. So I'm running. There was about six steps up the porch, and I thought, I am not taking these things one at a time. No way. I'm not. I'm going to get in that house, and I'm going to get in that house fast. And so I was running as fast as I could, and I thought, I'm going to jump. So I jumped up the first three steps, and and got up to that one, and I leaped up towards the top of the porch, and I was getting as close as I could, as fast as I could. And um, I didn't tell you that I have an older brother. And uh, you know how older brothers are. <laughs> I had a normal older brother. <laughs> the ones that are older brothers are saying, what, what? Exactly my point. <laughs> He's about six years older than me, and he went out the back door, round the side of the house, and he was standing in the shadows back behind the corner where nobody could see him, and he's hiding back there, just peeking around the corner, waiting for the most op opportune time, the perfect opportunity to come around the corner and scream and yell and, and scare me to death. So he sees me running. And uh, he saw me jump up the first steps, and, and he saw me coming up to the top, and he, I was almost in that door, so he had to do something. So he comes around the side of the house, roar, just hands up, screaming, yelling, and I thought I was going to die. 
I fell down on the ground. I was moving upwards, okay? Uh, physically, physics, you know, momentum. I was moving upward, but I defied physics and immediately dropped straight to the ground, curled up on a ball, crying and screaming. I thought I was going to die for sure. And then I realized what's going on, and here's my brother standing over top of me just laughing. <laughs> I just think it's the funniest thing in all the world. <sighs> Older brothers. Anyway, I'm laying on the ground crying. My dad heard all of this, and uh, so he, all he hears is screaming and crying. So he runs out the door, slings the door open to see what in the world's going on, looks around in a matter of a couple seconds, realizes what's happening. He turns to my brother, scolds him severely, which I was very happy about. <laughs> scolds him severely, tells him, get back in the house, and my brother goes back inside smiling after being scolded. It's so nice of him. And I'm still laying on the ground and uh, seeing what's going on here. And my dad looks down at me and I'm thinking, yes, please help me up. And my dad says, get up off the ground. Act like a man. Get in the house. What's your problem? <laughs> Scared of the dark. That's my problem. Scared of the dark. Uh, not knowing something is like being in darkness, not knowing something is, you know, you just, you're not sure. It's just like being in the dark, like having blinders on. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truths that we can trust. I pray, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd speak through me, get me out of the way, and Lord, work on your people and help them to know the truths that they need in order to live life for you and to give you honor and glory and that people might be saved and lives might be changed. And I pray that you'd lead tonight and that you'd be with us. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that, that these people are blind that they are blinded, the minds are blinded. It's like walking around with spiritual blinders on. They, they just they can't see the truth. They're unable to see these things. They, they basically, they're living in the dark. And uh, Satan loves that. That's the way he wants it. He doesn't want people to get the light. He doesn't want people to know those things. They, um, he causes fear by hiding the truth just as the night hides What's it? What's really there? You you know if I if I was coming back up to my house when I was six years old and I and I could see my brother standing at the end of the at the end of the house and I could see what was out in the front yard and I could see what was over in the field if I could see what was going on and I saw my brother there and he came running around the the corner going Arr! you know I would have looked at him and said shut up <laughs> you know what I mean who cares <laughs> why are you even here but. Not knowing caused the fear. Satan doesn't want the truth to be known. He causes fear by hiding the truth. 
He uses all kinds of things to blind us. Not, not just, not just uh, lost, but the believers, the, the Christians in the world are also, he'll use tools to blind us. And we have to be careful of that. You know, he uses, he'll use religion to blind us. He'll, he'll use religion to blind the lost people. He'll use religion to blind the saved people. And you have to be careful of that. One of the biggest problems, one of, one of the most tense situations that we ever had in China, in my opinion, one of the most tense situations was caused by a Chinese evangelist who didn't agree with some of the things that his grandson was learning. And we were turned in by a religious guy. The lost people that were around us didn't care what we were doing. They thought we were great. They thought, wow, these people get along with us. They're nice. They're honest. They're true. They're, they're happy. They're, they're teaching kids. Their kids obey. It's wonderful. But religion can cause problems. Religion can blind us. There's also other religions that, that blind people. Buddhism, Taoism, Marxism, Atheism, Catholicism, and any other of the isms that you can come up with, they are used as tools of Satan to bring fear and doubt and suspicion and to cause problems. He wants to blind people. He doesn't want people to know the truth because if we know the truth, then we can do what God wants us to do. We'll give praise to God and glory to God and people will get saved and that is not what Satan wants. The natural reaction in man is fear. The lost man will not get saved because of fear. Christians will not spread the gospel because of fear. Faithful believers will not tithe and give offerings because of fear. Parents will not train children because of fear. Young people will not surrender to serve because of fear. Fear is something that we have to deal with. It cannot just be tolerated and say, well, it, it, you know, everybody has fear. Everybody has fear. Well, you need to do something about it. We can't just let it be there. So what do we need to do in order to fight against this darkness, fight against this fear, fight against this doubt? As light pierces darkness, so truth pierces doubt and fear. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's Jesus speaking. I am the light. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the truth. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's being Jesus. So we know that the Word contains light and truth. The light and the truth that we need to, make, to, to fight the battle against fear and doubt comes from the Word of God. Reading God's Word and getting into it and studying it and finding out, memorizing it and using the things that you learn. These are the, the weapons that we can use the things that God has given us, the things that He left us, the promises that He left us that we can use to live the Christian life. So let's look at, I want to look at a couple of these, uh, a couple of truths that can pierce the darkness. The first one being that God loves you and paid for your sins. That, that's, that's pretty obvious. But that is a powerful truth. Um, most, the most feared thing in mankind is what's going to happen after I die? What's going to happen when I die? It doesn't matter where you go in the world. Death is something that people are afraid of. And this truth is something that can defeat that, that can bring light to a place that's dark. 
John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There was a, a man that I met, a young man. He was at a university, and uh, his name was David. And David, that's his English name. He'd had a Chinese name. <laughs> David was a working, or he was a student at the university. And I had a, a friend that was at the university this particular day that I'm telling you about. And he was sitting there and he saw David after a speech. David got up and got in front of the, the whole auditorium of students, his, his peers, and he just let them have it. He was upset because of the, the lack of respect that the students had given the speaker that they were listening to. And he got up there. He was just full of passion and what he was saying. And my friend saw David and said, wow, we should talk to him sometime. So he went over and he met David and he said, David, I have a friend and he's an American friend. Would you like to go out and eat with me sometime? And maybe you and him could talk. And David said, yeah, sure, I'll go and eat with you. And so me and my friend and David went to eat that evening, actually, maybe the next day. But uh, we went out to eat, and I started talking. We, we ordered the food, prayed for the food, got into the conversation about the gospel and the Bible. And, and I asked David if he wanted to hear the most important story ever. And he said, yes. I said, great. So I started explaining it to him, and he was on the edge of his seat. He was listening, and he would shake his head every so often. He would ask me a question every now and then, and, and, but we just kept going, and, and I was explaining the gospel to him. And as I was getting closer and closer to the end of the gospel, he started putting his head down and shaking his head. And I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm fine. It's okay, go ahead. And so I continue. And then he'd put his head down and he'd start shaking his head again. And I'd say, you okay, David? And he said, yeah, I'm fine. Go ahead, go ahead. And I got all the way through the gospel. And, uh, and David was there with his head down. And he, he was just saying, why, why didn't I know this? How come nobody told me? How come I don't know this? Why didn't they tell me? And I said, you okay, David? And he said, why didn't, I, why didn't they tell me? And I had to pry a little bit into him or for a little, you know, asking him, trying to understand what was going on and in David's mind. And finally he said, they didn't, they didn't tell me. I, he'd, he'd never heard this before. His parents grew up taking him to the Buddhist temple. They would go and they would bow down on the, the not, not the brick, the, um, it's like a stone. It's a stone circle. Kneel down on there and your knees go on one side and you bow down and basically bump your head on the other side as you're bowing down to this big, ugly statue. And afterwards, you go over and you put in these sticks of incense and you light them and you walk away. And 
That's what he grew up doing. That's what he knew. He, didn't, he had never heard of Jesus before. He had never heard that this was a real story, that this was truth. And he just, he sat there shaking his head with his head down. And I kept saying, is there something I can answer you? After a while, he said, after a while, I said, you know, if it's too new, if, you're, if it's too much new information and you're just not sure, I can pray for you. We'll, we'll pray for you and we can meet again sometime. It, you don't have to do anything right now. I mean, if you want to, that's great, but you don't have to. And I'll pray for you. Would you, like to, would you like me to pray for you and then we can go? And he said, no, 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 no. And I said, was there a question I can answer? No, 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 no. And uh, this process of time from beginning giving him the gospel all the way to the end when we left, it, it was two and a half hours that we sat there and discussed things he would ask and I'd answer and Two and a half hours, and at the end of the whole process, he's sitting there with his head in his hands, shaking his head, and I said, well, we can go ahead and go. Why don't we go ahead? Because the restaurant's getting closer to being closed. They, they're kind of waiting on us to leave. Why don't we go ahead? I'll pray for you. We'll meet, we'll meet tomorrow if you want to. I'll pray for you right now. Unless you want to believe Jesus right now, we need to get going. And David said no. And he looks up with tears running down his cheeks, and he says, I want to accept Christ. And I have never witnessed anything like this in my life. I've heard, I've heard people talk about stories about people, you know, crying about the reality when they realize that Jesus loves them and Jesus died for them, and that, that light came into their life and they could see for a change, and it was just so amazing to them. But I have never actually got to see that and here is David. I was just, I was taken back. I was like, wow, God's doing a work in this man's life. And uh, David prayed that night. He got saved. We left out, out of the restaurant and he started coming to our meetings and he was faithfully coming to our meetings. And God did a miracle in his life. I, I actually didn't, uh, not too long ago, I actually contacted him and he was telling me, I'm still I still believe in Jesus. I, I'm, I still know I'm going to heaven. He said, I'm not, as, I'm not as close to God as I should be. I may be backslidden, but I'm, I still know that I'm going to heaven. And uh, to, to hear his testimony was just like, wow. I mean, I was just there. I didn't do anything. It wasn't anything to do with me. It wasn't somebody special or great. Anybody in this room could have sat down there and given the gospel to David. But the light was the thing that drew him. And Satan does not want the truth to be known. He doesn't want the truth to be known. When you do present the truth, when you do shed light into somebody's life, it will change them. But we've got to be willing to do it. Charlie was a doctor that I knew. And, in, and Charlie, he doctors in China, a lot of times doctors are forced into lying to people because... Uh, they have this cultural idea that if somebody's going to be on their deathbed, then you don't tell them. Don't tell them that they're terminally ill. Don't tell them anything. Just keep it a secret. Hide it from them. You can talk to the family, but don't tell the person. And then the family will go up, and the family will talk to the people, but they won't tell them the truth either. 
This guy, Charlie, had, had lost people on the operating table. He knew that people had died in his hands. And he was guilty. He felt guilt. And I sat down with Charlie to start witnessing to him. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the gospel to him like I do everybody. And so I started giving the gospel to Charlie. And Charlie was listening uh, a little bit. He heard it, and then he would change the subject. And I thought, okay. And so we'd talk about something else, and then I'd find a way to get back in on this. He'd say something about bread, and I'd say, well, you know what? Oh, you know what the bread of life is? And, I mean, anything I could think of that would get back on track with giving the gospel to him. And uh, Charlie just would, he kept changing the subject on me, changing the subject. And finally, I sat back, and I was thinking, Lord, I thought I was supposed to give Charlie the gospel here, but he doesn't seem to want to listen. And the Holy Spirit smote me and said, why don't you listen to him for a little while? And I thought, okay. So I was listening to Charlie, and he was telling me about his work and telling me about different things in his life. And it occurred to me what Charlie was saying was, I need peace. I don't have any peace. I feel guilty over killing these people and lying to these people. And... He needed some forgiveness. He needed peace. And so the Holy Spirit just kind of moved me. I gave the gospel to him like unlike anybody I've ever done before or ever since. I just, I presented the gospel as a way to get peace. Uh, you know, making peace with God and then you have peace in your life. And, and Charlie listened finally. And he let me go all the way through the gospel. And I asked him if he wanted to trust Christ. And he said, yes. And Charlie got saved. It was amazing how God works in somebody's life. When there's darkness around, you bring the gospel to them, you bring the light to them, and they can hear it. But Satan doesn't like the light. He doesn't want to let those things happen. So he'll bring fear into your life. He'll bring fear into that person's life. He'll bring fear anywhere he can to put blinders on to keep people from the truth of God. But the truth is more powerful. Another truth... <clears throat> Another truth that we have is, is uh, when we have the light, we need to shine it for others. We need to let others know. It, it is necessity. And I wish I had enough time. I don't really have enough time to tell you the first time I gave the gospel. It's great. It's hilarious. I'll tell you about it later. If you really want to know afterwards, I could tell you. But there was a, I'll tell you another story about somebody who, shines, who, sh who was shining the light. Um, I was in a um, university, and there was a young lady that was in the classroom, and I, I always tried to go through my roster whenever I had a class. I would go through and try to invite out everybody that I could to go, to, to go out to eat so I could give the gospel to them. That's one of the things we do. That's a way to open the door. And uh, so me and my translator friend, we would always... Uh, try to invite out the students, and uh, this particular time, the, I was running out of names, and my translator friend sometimes had people ready, and I sometimes had people ready, and, and whatnot, but this day, we didn't have anybody, and I look back, and there's this young girl, Leah, one of my students, sitting back there, still putting her books away, and so I said, hey, what about Leah? We haven't taken Leah to eat yet. Maybe we give her the gospel, and he said, yeah, sure, so we asked her, and she said, yeah, can I bring a friend? And we said, absolutely, bring two, bring three, bring four, bring as many friends as you want. And so Leah brought her friend, Paul. 
and uh, Paul and Leah met us at the restaurant. We prayed for the food, got into the gospel again, presented the gospel to them. And the whole time, Paul, her friend, is listening. He's nodding his head, and he's saying, yeah, and asking questions. And I thought, this is good. And Leah was sitting over there quietly, just kind of sitting back, just listening, kind of seemed like she was hiding from things or something. I don't know. She just wasn't very interactive. And I thought, okay, that's, that's probably not good. And so uh, I got finished with the gospel, gave him my testimony, and I said, and you could ask Jesus to save you too. Would you like to ask Jesus to save you today? And Paul said, no. And I said, really? And he said, no. And I said, do you have a question? He asked a question. I answered a question. I said, now would you like to accept Christ your Savior? He said, no. <sighs> okay. So I turned to Leah and I said, well, Leah, do you have any questions? And Leah said, no. And I said, would you like to accept Christ as your Savior? And Leah said, yes. Really? <laughs> and she said, yes. I said, okay, wonderful. And uh, so, so uh, Leah prayed that night. She got saved and uh, took, you know, we, we parted ways, went, went, went our different directions. That was in a December. That was in about mid-December. And towards the end of December, my classes are done and the, the, the students all have tests, and then after the tests, they go home for a holiday, and then they don't come back till last week of February, first week of March. And so I didn't, you know, it was going to be a couple months before I saw them again. And uh, when March rolled around, the students came back. I was reading through my roster, and uh, I came across Leah's name, and it re reminded me, that's right, she got saved before she left, and I want to make sure she gets to the church. And so I said Leah's name, but nobody answered. And I thought, hmm, that's different. So I kept on going. Usually she's always there. The next time we had class, I was reading through, and I called Leah's name, no answer. And I thought, hmm, she must be really late from her holiday. That's different. I kept on going. The next time we had class, I was reading through the list, and I came to Leah's name, and there still was no answer. And I just had to ask. So everybody was kind of talking and so whatnot. And I said, hey, does anybody know what happened to Leah? And everybody in that room instantly went quiet, and they all looked at me. And I thought, okay, I said something wrong. She, she must have embarrassed herself, or she quit school. And there, I don't know what just happened, but I just said, okay. And I kept on going. When the class was over... I walked towards the back where Leah was normally sitting with her friends, and I got back there and I said, hey, I got a question. Why did everybody get really quiet when I said Leah? How come nobody knows what's happening? And she said, she, well, she answered me, and then I had to say, excuse me? Because she said, Leah's in heaven. And I thought, that's, what, what, what do you mean? And her friend said, well, Mr. Mahaffey, it's, it's, when the holiday came, everybody got on the trains and they all went to their hometown. And Leah got to her hometown and she, she was walking home with her suitcase, walking down the sidewalk and a car came up off the road and hit her and killed her. And she's in heaven. And you know, I mean, there's times in your life where you're praying and you're saying, Lord, please take me to the one that's, that, that, that's closest to hell, the one that needs the gospel today. Take me, let me give the gospel to that person, the one that really needs it. But 
here's somebody who really needed the gospel. They were that close to eternity, and God worked out the circumstances to put us in the right place. And, and I, was, I was shocked by the whole thing, but I had to ask again because of the way she answered. I said, what do you mean she's in heaven? Because that was not a normal, I mean, that's not the way that it goes. That's not the answer that people in China would give somebody. So I had to ask, what do you mean she's in heaven? And her friend said, oh, well, you remember when you took her out to eat with your, with your friend? And I said, yeah. But in my mind, I'm thinking, why do you know that? And she said, well, when Leah got back that night, she came back to the dormitory and she, just, she was so happy. She told everybody what she had done. She told everybody about what she had learned. And I was, again, shocked. I mean, smacked by the Holy Spirit upside the head because I'm thinking, here is this girl minutes from asking Jesus to save her and she's going around telling everybody about the light that she found and she's carrying it and holding it up to people in darkness that had no idea and then her testimony was was shining bright that people could see it. I got saved when I was eight years old and when I was 18, maybe 19, I finally found the nerve to go give somebody a track and at that point, I was shaken like a leaf. It's amazing to me the way God was able to use her. And it wasn't just that, because later that semester, we had an Easter party. And at the Easter party, I had the whole class. I was trying to get everybody in there that I could get there possible. We had 90 students that we needed to get the gospel to. We put them all in this room, <coughs> and it had tables and uh, put an American at each table and a, and a translator at each table. And then we stood up and we sang songs and played games. And then I gave them the Easter story, just like everybody does in America, right? You, you do the Easter story all the time, don't you? You, you have parties and you tell everybody the Easter story. <laughs> well, that's what we told them anyway. And uh, so we, we said, yes, everybody knows this story. So we're going to tell you the Easter story. And it starts with Adam and Eve and goes to the resurrection. And uh, he tells people four specific points and how to know for sure you're going to heaven. So we did that. And then uh, afterwards, we gave everybody at the tables a chance to, to talk to the American. And, and the Americans followed up on it. Out of 90 students in that class, over 60 of them had trusted Christ that night. And it was, it was amazing. It was great. And we were thrilled. We were excited about it. And we're like, wow, this is the most, I think, that we've ever had saved at one large party like this. It's just great. And uh, we were thinking about it on the way home and talking about it. And, and, and the thought occurred to us, you know, I wonder if it's because Leah's testimony to that class. Those that were sitting in darkness that had no idea suddenly hear about Leah getting saved. And, and the next thing you know, she's in heaven that fast. And that, that light that she shed for them to see gave us an opportunity to get the gospel to them. And, and they, so many of them accepted Christ. It was amazing. It was great. And God can do great things when we take the light that He's given us and we shine it for others. The last truth I want to give you here is from Psalm 139.12. 
Psalm 139.12 says, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. And the truth being here is that we, we don't need to. We, we got to remember that we don't need to worry about what's in the dark. Those things that we don't know in our life about what happens when my health starts failing. Well, what's going to happen if, well, we, we, somebody lost their job. Uh, what's going to happen now? How are we going to... The things that are in the dark that we don't know, that God hasn't given us the wisdom to understand yet. The things that we're afraid of because we don't know about them. Those things that are in the dark, we don't need to worry about them because God can see in the dark. That's what this Bible verse talks about. The night and the day are alike. The light and the darkness are alike to God. He sees those things. He knows those things. He knew last October, he knew last October that my father would not be here this October. And when, they, when he was diagnosed with cancer last November, and it seemed very serious, and, and instantly, my brother, my sister, my mother, and I were all trying to find out, okay, what do we need to do? We, we don't know anybody. Like, we, we've never had this. Nobody has had cancer in my family, in, in my family history that I know of. What, what's supposed to happen? How are we supposed to deal with this? What are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? How is this supposed to... The, the fear, what happens if he passes away? Those fears that were there, God knew those things long before they happened. He knew how to deal with these things. He knew what was going to happen. He knew how to lead us each step of the way for the last year until this last September when he passed away. And he's, he's in heaven now. We don't have to worry about those things that are in the dark. Fear comes from thinking that you lost control of something you never had control of in the first place. God knows what's in the dark. And he says, you can trust me. When I was a lot younger, again, living in East Tennessee, I was riding in the back of my parents' station wagon. That's one of those big cars, you know, you've never seen them. <laughs> and the back seats were down. That's when you could sit back there without a seatbelt and it wasn't a big deal. I was sitting way in the back and uh, I was eating a chocolate cupcake because those things are tasty. And so I'm sitting way in the back eating my chocolate cupcake and we're zinging through the mountains of East Tennessee, only it was a foggy day. And I don't know why this didn't occur to me, but all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the back eating a cupcake, and I look out the front window, and I think, I can't see the road. Normally, I can see the road. I wonder how they know where they're driving. Is he on the road? Are we going to crash? Are we going to go off the road? And this panic came over me, and I sat there, and I got so upset, I actually dropped my chocolate cupcake. I mean, that's pretty bad. But <laughs> I dropped it, and I'm sitting there, and I had this look on my face. I had to have because somebody said, are you okay, Jason? And my, I remember my dad looking in the rearview mirror and looking back at me and said, you okay? 
And I said, can't, I, I can't see back here. And he said, what? And I said, I can't see, I can't see where we're going. And my dad said, it's okay, I can see from up here. And I thought, but I can't see anything. And my dad said, don't worry about it. I can see from where I'm at. And the thought came to me, I don't think he's going to crash us into a tree on purpose. <laughs> I don't think we're going to go off into the river. He wouldn't be driving this fast if he couldn't see where he was going. He must know. Oh, and then I relaxed. I picked up my chocolate cupcake and I finished it. <laughs> and the truth here is that God knows what's going on. And when we cannot see what's going to happen, God already sees what's going to happen. He knows what's going on. And He says, trust me, I got it. He's got your best interest in mind. For sure, He loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. He says, I can take care of this. Just trust me. So, it's easy to live in fear. It's easy to live in fear. I don't know if I can go soul winning. I don't know about inviting my friends, my family, my neighbors going to church. That's just, uh, what, if they, what if they think I'm weird? What if they think something's wrong with me? What if they ask me questions that I don't have answers to? I don't know. Teaching a Sunday school class. You know, some people ask people to teach a Sunday school class. I don't know if I can do that. Ah, what am I going to do? Well, I think God knows what's going on. I think He has your best interest in mind. He can help you, and He can lead you and guide you where you need to be. To give up what you have for what God wants, that's a scary thing. It'd be easy to live in fear and say, no, I'm going to hold on to this. I don't, I don't want to give up what I've got because what God has, I don't know what He has for me, but I know what I want. But to give that up and let God have what you want so that you can have what He has for you, you have to come overcome the fear. Satan doesn't want you to be able to deal with these things. He wants you to act in fear. He wants you to run from the things that God has for you. Satan wants us to be blind and lost. He wants the lost to go to hell, and he wants the, the saved to, to be prevented from sh shining their light. But God has truth for us. God has the truth that we can use to help us in our life, to encourage us to do the things that God wants us to do, to accomplish the things that we're afraid of accomplishing. God can help. Why did I go into the darkness to go feed the dog? Why would I do such a crazy thing to go into the darkness to feed a dog where there's monsters all around, could eat me at any second? Why would I do such a thing? Because my father told me to do it, and I can trust him. Why would I take my family to the other side of the ocean, to a place where they don't want the gospel, they don't want missionaries? Why would somebody do something like that? Because my heavenly father told me to, and I could trust him. And just like that, everything that you have, the things, the, the, 
the, the things that you have, the, the fear, the darkness that exists in your life that you say, I don't know about this, God says, trust me. I can, I can take care of you. I can help you. You can do this. Satan has many different ways of blinding us, but God's Word can help us take those blinders off. If we get in God's Word, we read God's Word, we pray, we follow what He wants us to do, He can take those blinders off and we can see that it's not really so scary walking in the dark when you have the light with you. He can show you the way. Allow God to tell you what to do and trust Him to take care of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the truth in your word that lights our path, that helps us to know what we can do and should do. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we make decisions in our life. So many decisions to make. And Lord, we need, to, we need your guidance. We need your wisdom to light the path, and we need to trust you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to stay in our Bibles, help us to read, help us to pray, help us to follow uh, the preaching that we hear and to do the things that you want us to do. Help us to shine our light so that others around us can see your glory and that they will glorify you. People can be saved and lives can be changed. I pray that you'd be with us. Help us to serve you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.